His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to a New York Catholic Conversation. My name is Deacon John Catalano, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, my pal from St. Agnes in Rockville Center, Frank Alasia. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing terrific, Deacon. How's everything? Everything is good. Um, we wanted to talk about Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, who died on December 31st, uh, 2022, and his funeral mass was celebrated in Rome just at the beginning of this year. And we know many prayers and condolences and good wishes were shared by so many people scholars and theologians, both inside and outside the church, and they've offered their analyses on Benedict's impact on the church and on the world. So we thought we would add our voices to that chorus and, and say what we thought and felt about him. 265th Pope, the successor to St. Peter, he was 95 years old. He succeeded John Paul II in 05 and resigned from the papacy in 2013, and he has been Pope Emeritus since then, it was 10 years, he retained the title, but it was discharged of his duties as Pope. Okay, he was born in 1927 in Germany, uh, the southern part of Germany, Bavaria, which was a very Catholic section of that country, and uh, grew up in a Catholic culture. He became a priest, his brother became a priest. Uh, and Joseph was always interested in the church and in his, and in his vocation. So with that, Frank, start us off. Where do you want to begin talking about Pope, Frank, uh, Pope Benedict? Well, I listened to many uh, different priests and authors speak about him. And here, this is just some of my takeaways. Um, he absolutely was one of the most gifted preachers in, in church history. Uh, many people think he will become a eventually become a doctor of the church. And the reason is he really loved clarity. He was always clear in what he taught. And I think something that his secretary said that was really important was God always came first with, with Benedict. Um, you know, being the secretary, he had to, uh, you know, arrange appointments. And every time he said, I tried to tell him something was important, very important or very, very important. He never changed that routine. It was always mass, the breviary, which are the prayers that priests say every day and the rosary and then meditation. So I think that that's very telling about the way he was. Yeah, I mean, his, his personal demeanor, it's come out from everybody that knows him that, I mean, he never rushed anyone. He had the tendency to listen very carefully. Uh, and many people have shared uh, uh, the idea that how generous he was with his time. Yeah, giant intellectual. And, you know, I, I listened to Raymond Arroyo on EWTN say that when you asked, when you asked Pope Benedict a question, he never answered quickly. He took time. He thought about it. And then he gave you a, a paragraph answer. And also, I know of another seminarian. It was a story where he was crossing the street in Rome, and the seminarian had asked him a question. He couldn't believe it was actually, you know, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. And he took as much time as the sem seminarian needed, you know. So yeah. he's a humble I man. And the first thing that impressed me so much when he became Pope was that, you know, he, he was a writer and a, a theologian, but he wrote and published books while he was the Pope. And the first one was Deus Caritas Est, God is Love. I mean, it was beautifully written. It was very accessible. It could be understood by the average person. So it was reassuring to Catholics. And 
This is the book that where he asserted the idea that being Christian is not subscribing to an ideology or philosophy of life. It is an encounter with a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Being Catholic means being in a relationship with God-made man, and it's always good to return to that idea, especially when we get confused about or upset about dogma and teachings. Yeah, and he was, you know, one of the things everybody mentioned was faith and reason must be interconnected. You know, when the two are not connected, you have unreasonable faith or heartless reason. You know, if I can only accept what I understand with no room for faith, you live in a very, you live in a very small world. Yeah, he, he, he mentioned he's a visionary. His phrase, dictatorship of relativism, was used in his speech to the cardinals before the conclave in 2005 that ended up electing him as pope. And that that's almost, what is that? It's almost 20 years ago. Right. The dictatorship part uh, anticipated the cancel culture. In other words, if you don't conform to the whims of society, you're canceled. And that's where he came up with the, dic the dictatorship of relativism. Yeah, without question. The idea that truth is whatever I think it is. He fought this throughout his whole life. Right. But one of the things, too, about, about Cardinal Ratzinger was he never thought he was smarter than tradition. You know, he loved the orthodoxy and the liturgy. He, he didn't like the ideology where, you know, people want God, but without God. You know, and yeah. I think that that's important to bring out. You, you mentioned his humility. I mean, he had no ambition, it seems, but he was dutiful. I mean, his right. preference in life would have been to be a scholar in a quiet academic environment. And he was often seen sitting alone, writing and reading. But look, he became a, he was a peritidi. He was a, 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 a periti, excuse me, uh, a, a, an expert invited to Vatican Council too as a young priest at the age of 35. And he emerged as one of the leading scholars and writers of the documents that came out of there. And then he became a bishop. Again, no ambition, but he became a bishop at the age of 50. And he quickly became a member of the church hierarchy. He followed God's will in positions that he never asked for for many years past his retirement age. hundred percent. You know, when he led the, the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, one of the things they said was he never lost his composure. And that had great effects on those around him. You know, when a hot topic came up and the Italian, the Italian cardinals got worked up, he suggested they tone it down and get to the content of the argument. He said the argument is either convincing or is not. The tone can either be helpful or disturbing. Let's take the tone down and strengthen the argument. And always he spoke very softly. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a yeller. No, I think that that's so true in our lives. We see that kind of stuff all the time when stuff escalates. Right. Well, that's true about him. I mean, he was slandered ruthlessly. Right. But right. he never fought back or spoke ill of his enemies. I mean, they made a play on his last name and they called him a Rottweiler, you know, when he was right. back when he was the prefect for the Congregation of the Faith. And instead, he treated everybody with kindness in the, in the face of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? He did have to censor theologians from time to time. That was his job. But like you said, it's un in inaccurate and unfair to view him as a watchdog or a Rottweiler. He simply had to correct someone whose teaching was something incongruent with the teachings of the church. That is what the congregation of the doctor, doctrine of faith is there for, you know, to urge, he, he, he urged these theologians to think again. He spoke the truth in love. He didn't banish anyone to Siberia, and he surely was not uh, what he was, you know, characterized to be, a Rottweiler. Although he did end up having to laicize 
removed from the priesthood. Uh, yeah. I think some 400 men at the uh, in the last two years of his papacy alone. So he he did his duty in that regard. But you know what I love? He wrote this in uh, one of his books, Jesus of Nazareth. This is what he wrote. What did Jesus actually bring, if not world peace, universal prosperity, and a better world? What has he brought? The answer is very simple. God. He has brought God. He has brought the God who formerly unveiled his countenance gradually, first to Abraham, then to Moses and the prophets, and then in the wisdom literature. It is this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true God, whom he has brought to the nations of the earth. He has brought God, and now we know his face. Now we can call upon it. Now we know the path that we human beings have to take in this world. Jesus has brought God, and with God, the truth about our origin and our destiny. It is only because of the hardness of our hearts that we think this is too little. Right. And the two things I like to say in closing are, you know, during a crisis in the church, a priest asked him, what are we going to do? And he said, it's quite normal to be afraid. But remember, Jesus is in the boat, boat and he remains there always. You know, he had the call to live the gospel. If we claim to believe it, we must go out and do it. We must visit the sick you know, care for the poor and love our neighbor. And that's how I'd like to end it. A beautiful man and a gift to the church. Absolutely. Thanks, Frank. Okay, folks, God don't forget God. to like us and follow us. Or send us an email at Conversation at gmail.com. That's Conversation at gmail.com. Frank, I love you a lot. I'll talk to you next time, okay? God bless. Thanks, Deacon. <laughs>